to you and welcome back to the Dementia Podcast. In today's episode, we are focused on Australia's NAIDOC Week. NAIDOC is a week that celebrates the history, culture and achievements of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders peoples. And this year's theme in Australia is Heal Country. While this episode centres around the First Nation custodians of Australia's lands, we recognise that these themes may resonate with First Nations people in other countries across the globe. While NAIDOC Week celebrates history, culture and achievements of our First Nation Australians, it's also important to use this time to consider what we need to do to support our First Nations people. And dementia in particular is much higher in our First Nation Australians than it is in non-Indigenous Australians. So it's particularly important that we focus on the needs of people with dementia from our First Nations. And that's what our panel are going to discuss today. Now, before I introduce our expert panel, I'm joined by CEO of Hammond Care, Mike Baird, as he reflects on the importance of NAIDOC Week. Welcome, Mike. Mike, I'll be introducing our panel next, who will be talking about our First Nation Australians and the issue of dementia. But what is your message? Well, thanks, Colin. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, I think it's important, um, not just in NAIDOT Week, but every week and whenever we meet, um, that actually we should acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're speaking from. And we are on... So I do want to acknowledge the Gadigal people of the Aurora Nation and pay my respects to Elders past, present and emerging and for wherever anyone is listening from. Well, it's great to have you with us. And Mike, in June of 2021, Care began its journey in contributing to Australia's reconciliation movement when we registered for a reconciliation action plan. So it's really great to be talking about it and the theme of Healing Country this week. Why was it important to uh, begin that journey? Well, importantly, it was um, staff-led. There were a lot of staff that have sort of suggested we, we really should be part of this. And uh, we do have sort of First Nation um, residents, um, clients, uh, but also staff members. And there's an acknowledgement of that. And as we've listened to their voices and, and the debate that is going on and the opportunity to play a role, um, I think uh, we've taken a first step. And to me, it's it's quite simple. We, we are given... Uh, the opportunity with our mission to care for people uh, from everywhere, many, many different sort of countries and cultures and backgrounds. But, you know, for us, um, the person in front of us, what we're about is deep relationship-based care, and that is who is before us, who are they? You know, what's their history? What's their background? What is it they love? What's their culture? What are their beliefs? And obviously uh, our First Nations um, clients and residents well, they have um, deep hurt from the history um, that they have lived and their ancestors have lived and their elders have lived. Um, and I think we've got a role and responsibility to help them, uh, but more broadly in the community, um, in the various states and the country, we have a role to play in, in reconciliation. So I think it made a lot of sense and I'm, I'm really proud of our um, team and staff that have brought this forward. And Mike, I'll have a panel are going to be talking about some of the ways we support people with dementia who are from our First Nations. And as people listen, what do you hope uh, the panel will be thinking about in terms of how we support First Nation people with dementia? Yeah, most importantly, you know, how, as a provider, 
Um, can we ensure that those, you know, First Nations people that are living with dementia, how can we engage with them in the way that is respectful and loving and gives them every opportunity to live the best quality of life they can? And, you know, that for us is, is what drives us. I hope across the organisation, you know, this is a week that's very important as part of our reconciliation journey. Um, you know, we stop for a week and, and obviously reflect on what we can do. Um, but it shouldn't just be the week. You know, this is a long, ongoing journey and one we're very committed to. Thanks. Thanks, Colin. So I'm delighted to now introduce my panel of Stephanie Charlesworth and Megan Heatrick. They're both dementia consultants in the team with extensive experience in working with Indigenous communities and working with people who have dementia. Welcome to you both. We're also joined in Perth, Australia by Professor Don Bezarab, and she is the Director of the Centre for Aboriginal Medical and Dental Health at the University of Western Australia. And we're going to hear about some of her work. But firstly, Don, I'd appreciate if you would uh, provide an acknowledgement to country for us. Okay. I'd like to um, acknowledge the, uh, the Noongar Wajak people um, of the land that I'm on today and uh, talking from Perth in uh, Western Australia. Um, but I'd also like to acknowledge my own elders uh, who are of Bard and Injibundi descent um, and their elders past and present. Don, why is it so important that we think and approach First Nation people's health in a different way to other Australians? Okay. Well, um, when we're talking about Indigenous Australians and um, in the definition includes Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, um, we know that access to aged care services, which would include um, dementia, um, is available from the age of 50 years uh, for Aboriginal people compared to 65 years for non-Aboriginal Australians. But due to higher rates and uh, earlier onset of age-related diseases and disabilities, um, despite this, 88% of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people over the age of 55 years uh, experience chronic health issues, and there are, which um, means that their access to aged care should actually be quite high. But for Aboriginal people, it's vastly lower and disproportionate to the levels um, of identified need. So at the moment, the current system of Australian aged care services is not meeting um, the, the needs of Aboriginal, older Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people, um, and also it's not addressing the identified disadvantage that we know is being experienced in the Aboriginal community. And this is backed up by a major finding um, of the Australian, the recent Australian Royal Commission into Aged Care, uh, which identified that um, that the current system does not provide culturally safe care for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people. Thus, it's an imperative for change and we need to see reform in relation to uh, services to older Aboriginal people. So, um, And it's not just um, the services for aged care for older Aboriginal people, but also that the services need to be trauma-informed because we also know that um, Aboriginal people you know, we have a high contingent of stolen generation, intergenerational trauma. Um, so we need to ensure that uh, any service delivery to Aboriginal people um, needs to be Aboriginal-led and uh, organisations providing aged care services need to be culturally informed and also culturally safe. 
the Good Spirit, Good Life tool, um, why that's really significant is because it's a tool, it's the first validator tool um, in Australia and as far as we know internationally, which actually um, looks at assessing the quality of life for older Aboriginal people um, in care. And the way that the, the tool came about, and I'd like to thank and acknowledge the valuable contribution in the co-design of the tool because it was a co-design process um, by all of the Aboriginal research participants, uh, community groups, and in particular the elders group. What do you think the difference would be in using uh, this tool uh, in your engagement with an Aboriginal person? Well, I think... The difference is that the tool enables service providers to ensure that um, they, they're able to sit down with an Aboriginal person and their family to make a cultural assessment which um, is relevant to Aboriginal people. So the tool ha- covers 12 interconnecting factors that can be uh, used to enhance uh, and to ask questions around Um, whether an older Aboriginal person in care, its quality of life um, is good or are there some areas which uh, need a little bit of um, attention um, because the person's quality of life is not going so well in these areas. Some of the factors in the tool um, look at um, family and friends, your relationships, uh, the community, country was a particularly important factor. culture, health and the elder role, um, respect, spirituality, supports and services, safety and security, future planning. I mean, one of the surprises in the tool around future planning was where um, elders were concerned that, you know, their end of life plans, did they have um, a funeral fund? Like how, who was going to pay for that? And they were really concerned that their families would not be able to do that. But, you know, a service provider would not have thought to ask that question. We certainly didn't. So that was interesting when the elders identified that as part of ensuring that quality of life is not just about present but also future planning, basic Mm -hmm. needs. Um, So, you know, all of their factors looks at areas, look at areas that elders identified as being important and integral to an older person's social and emotional well-being. And so it provides a way in which service providers can start to engage more realistically and culturally in a safe cultural way with older people and their families. Steph, as a panel, we're reflecting on the theme of healing country in this NADOC week. A large part of nurturing the care needs of the First Nation person is supporting their connection to country. I'm sure you've had experience of this in your work in the Northern Territories and beyond. Oh, absolutely, yes. And, you know, it would have been, you know, as a consultant to have that tool on hand when I was working up there to actually, you know, help with those cultural assessments. I think sometimes we get caught up in the all the medical stuff and things like that and what is important to that person is, you know, their country, staying on their country, how do we support that person to stay on on their country, you know, those those aspects of care, you know, can sometimes not be in our standard assessment. So what Dawn's talking about and from what I've experienced, it's very 
relevant. And Megan, uh, you're nodding your head. That's ringing a bell very clearly with you as well. <laughs> it is, especially from a metro area. Um, there's such a loss of connection to country when someone moves into a mainstream aged care facility in, in metro Sydney. I'm don't, not sure about the others, but um, I remember seeing a gentleman who was 86 and I got the, the first thing I did when I got to the care home, they were like, oh, you know, he's a high risk of falls and, you know, he's always locking himself in his room and he was missing that connection to country because of his story and because of... So when I walked into his room, um, he was sitting on the floor and... Th- the care staff are like, oh, he's had another fall again. And I was just like, well, no, actually, no, he's not distressed. He's actually quite, com- like, he's quite calm and, and engaging in, in an activity. And all he was doing was he was trying to clean one of the skirting boards um, and trying to get his room in order the way he wanted it to. Um, so definitely that understanding, and especially what um, Dawn was saying in terms of looking at how they actually connect to their environment is a really important aspect of how we actually support and provide care to someone who is Indigenous. And clearly you're also all talking about, uh, and Don, you flagged with us as being culturally aware, are there common things that you, uh, for want of a better description, have to roll your eyes at as consistently seeing people not being aware of and not leading the conversation with? Well, I think Steph um, said it quite well, is that, you know, normally the biomedical model very much focuses on, you know, the medical, the disease component, the medications, all of that. And one of the... the um, the advantages of the good spirit, good life tool is that it's very holistic. And so even if you are you don't have uh, an awareness or an understanding of Aboriginal culture, the factors in themselves highlight that these are things you need to think about. So why is family and relationships important? Why is country important? And as an aged care worker, if you don't understand that, then it's a roadmap, like maybe I need to find out. And for an organisation who may not have um, introduced into their service delivery and their programs cultural awareness or cultural orientation, then that's already starting to roadmap that, you know, maybe we need to actually find out why is the good spirit, good life pointing to these factors as being important as part of um, a holistic assessment of an Aboriginal person. And so it's not just looking at, you know, are they on their medication regime? Um, We need to consider falls. Well, physical, you know, the aged care, um, the Royal Commission identified the importance of uh, older people having access to exercise and physical activities. And so, you know, um, taking someone outside into country, because country isn't just about being in a remote community or a regional community. You know, we're living on country and sometimes we forget that because of the colonising impact and the build-up of urban communities. But urban communities, cities are built on country. They're built on Aboriginal country. And so there are still places within the city which have significant um, stories for the local Aboriginal people, you know, where I'm based in Perth at the University of Western Australia, which is right on the banks of the Swan River, or as the Noongar people call it, the Derby Erigan. 
And right where we are was a significant meeting place for Noongar people. There's a story in that. So country isn't a remote concept. It's right there. So, you know, service providers could look at how can they have um, excursions or enabling an older Aboriginal person who may be uh, taken from their remote country um, out into the urban environment where they can go to a park or a place that's significant for the local Aboriginal or even having a welcome to country, um, you know, for the local Aboriginal people to welcome um, older Aboriginal people who are from somewhere else into their country to make them feel spiritually, um, emotionally and psychologically safe. Steph, one of the things we are focusing on is how we provide culturally aware care. How do you assist or engage a First Nation person with dementia when the word or diagnosis of dementia is inherently Western? My experience with this is sitting within the Aboriginal interpreter service in Darwin and there was a whole lot of people from a whole lot of different areas, a whole lot of different languages, and we're trying to together come up with a um, term for dementia and what it what it actually is and what it means. It's sort of better just to sort of um, go in and sort of ask the people when you're going, you know, and going to speak to people in a different language and then try and just to sort of work out, you know, okay, this is this is why this person is presenting in this way because they've got this disease called dementia and this is what's happening, you know, and helping give the family some tips in how they can help that person. But um, particularly because we focus on behaviours, so looking at what sort of things, you know, the family might find useful and practical rather than the term dementia. But I think what's really important is that um, sometimes, uh, and this is my being, has been my experience, particularly in, uh, in some of the, the regional remote, is that when people who have dementia start to behave in certain ways or they're forgetting things, um, sometimes uh, the Aboriginal community has put it down to something that they've done wrong. It's a spiritual um, it's a spiritual thing and their behaviour is because they're going what's called in Noongar, they say kartwara, a little bit crazy. Um, but when mm-hmm. you start to talk about dementia as a disease, and I think that was really important what Steph said, is educating people that this is actually a disease and it's not because someone's done something wrong spiritually or culturally, it's part of a progression. It helps the community and the family to start to actually understand that this is not a cultural um, behaviour or they've done something wrong, but this is part of, part of a disease that we can now, this is what we need to do to be able to work with our elder. And because we know that dementia also takes away the memories and our elders are responsible for handing on cultural knowledge, and teaching that it is really important to look at how you can work with dementia to start to capture some of the memories and the knowledge that are important for our young people and communities going forward. Steph, can I ask when you are planning in a rural setting to go out on country, are there important things in the planning and the time that is needed um, that might be different? Oh, absolutely. Like, you always need to check in, um, particularly if there's any, like, sorry business or anything like that happening on the day that you're actually going out. Sorry, can I just ask a quick question for our international listeners? Sorry business. Dawn, what is sorry business? 
sorry business is when the community or the family are going through a loss, a bereavement. Um, someone has passed away. And so the family's in sorry business, they're grieving. And uh, depending on um, the community and Steph's talking about, you know, her work in the Northern Territory and um, in, in uh, the tr more traditional communities, um, you know, there, there is a sorry business that has to be attended to. So it can be attending funerals or people have to move into sorry camps um, where families don't move for a week, but they're all out in country in a sorry camp and going through um, particular um, uh, rituals and in terms of um, the loss of the person. And so, you know, when someone's in a sorry camp, you wouldn't be asking them to leave that sorry camp to attend because uh, that's a priority uh, and, um, and it's around how do you work with um, someone who may need treatment uh, or trying to organise a, a treatment um, when you know that the community's in mourning or in sorry time. It's not about I've got this job to do in this time frame. I need to first engage with where is the community at and ensure that I'm actually working um, to their time and needs. Mm -hmm. And also making sure you got someone with you who speaks language um somebody who so these are for things which you need to check off um make sure if you need a permit or not to go onto the go onto the land um also making sure you have someone with you who has that vouched relationship because otherwise you're going to scare people off um you can't just rock up sort of by yourself and go yeah, I'm here to do this and help you with dementia because that, that really doesn't work. Um, and also having an understanding and done your own research and education about the trauma in which a lot of people have experienced. So I think having that in mind, you know, does change your approach quite a bit to um, the people you're actually going in to see. And can I also um, add to that, and uh, Steph, I don't know whether you found this in, in your work or uh, Megan, even in your work with, with the urban community, but when we have older Aboriginal people who um, have dementia and um, the community's in sorry, sorry time, sometimes the older person, because they've got dementia, wonder why they're not seeing someone. And mm -hmm. when you have to constantly perhaps say that the reason this person is not here is because they've passed on, it raises a whole issue of because they don't remember. And so you may have that re-traumatising when they find out that someone has passed away. It's also a conversation with the family on how much do you actually talk about the person that's passed away or do you or don't you because they've forgotten. Megan, uh, can I ask um, uh, what's changed in your practice over the years as your awareness? So, you know, if you think about somebody who's uh, not worked in this area, uh, what, what I guess tips or things that have changed about your approach? That acute awareness of the historical events in this country and how it's actually impacted on someone that's elderly, First Nations background, and has a dementia diagnosis. And as Steph was talking, I, I've recently seen a, a woman who is Aboriginal. She was a part of the First Nations, and we did get a referral for her. And the referral was 
purely because she was locking herself in a room. She was screaming at night. She wasn't engaging in any interactions with the care staff. So when we came out, I got the referral and I was just like, okay, I'll call the family first because this is, I'm going to need them. I'm mm-hmm. definitely going to need them if she, it, it, because she was Aboriginal. And, and that was, that's always been a part of my practice is once you engage in a family to help sort of communicate and understand where they've come from, you're able to support them in a much more heightened way rather than you would if you did just approach it from a medical model. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was about sitting the care staff down and actually explaining what the stolen generation was, mm-hmm. health role in that stolen generation, because we were, as nurses, doctors, social workers, we had a huge, very messy part in the stolen generation mm-hmm. in that the health providers were the ones that forcibly took those kids away. Mm -hmm. So we do actually have to acknowledge that before we can even turn around and say, this is what we're going to do to provide you with good quality care. But we need to acknowledge the fact that as health providers, we did have a bit of a part to play and that is traumatic for them. Mm -hmm. So if you come knocking on their door in the morning and say, I'm the nurse, I'm here to shower you, Good luck because that's not going to happen. It could be a real trigger. It is. It's a, it's a massive trigger and, mm-hmm. and they. it's just about explaining that and taking the time and I think that's what I've learned with my experience over the last couple of years is that really just sort of sitting down and calmly being able to tell someone what trauma-based behaviour really looks like. Mm-hmm. There's so many things about the individual and awareness of the space and the environment that are so key. But Don, you were sorry, you were about to come in there. Yeah, no, I, I think um, there are a couple of things to be mindful of. And I mean, this is very relevant, you know, um, to our international audience, particularly our Native Americans um, who had the, you know, the, the Indian school uh, where uh, their uh, children were removed. Um, so, you know, the stolen generation, I think, is, is the term that we use in Australia, but I don't think it's just specific to Australia. However, um, when we're talking about dementia, um, you know, you might have in an aged care home an older Aboriginal people who was part of the stolen generation, but you may also have a non-Aboriginal person who was from around that same time period. And so they're going on, um, you know, uh, they're remembering when Aboriginal people weren't allowed to come into towns, weren't allowed to participate in white society. Um, so, you know, their dementia could be triggered uh, and their experience of Aboriginal people could be triggered, which was not a good experience because Aboriginal people were seen to be less than human. So if you get an older Aboriginal person and a non-Aboriginal person, older and non-Aboriginal person who are from that same period but both coming from very different worldviews and experiences, you see what I'm saying? Both experiences yeah. could be triggered where the Aboriginal person is then um, discriminated against by the older and non-Aboriginal person who's back in that time period and saying, what has this black person been doing? And I've actually had someone tell me a story where that did happen to one of their um, their uh, their members who was in aged care being uh, discriminated against by an older Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal uh, lady who said, what are you doing here? You shouldn't be allowed to 
be here and you know you know, uh, you know aboriginal people are dirty and you should what are you doing in this in this service which traumatized the aboriginal person from a racist perspective so i think mm-hmm. we do need to be mindful that these things could happen if you've got people who are coming from different uh, time periods where they experience something different and that's something else to think about. Um, mm-hmm. But the other thing, just thinking about, you know, aged care services, you know, there's creating happy places, you know, creating a happy place in the organisation where an Aboriginal person or a non-Aboriginal person could go where they're happy because it, the clinical environment is very dominant and mm-hmm. so the you know so you know these are just things about to think about maybe how do we do things differently and how do we create a happy space for non-aboriginal people or aboriginal people and i had a service um organization say to me that they had an old man from the the lands and that he was always wanting to go outside and lay down in the garden and they were horrified and I said, well, what's the problem in that? Oh, well, you know, we have duty of care and we've got to think about this. And I said, yes, but that's where he's the happiest is he's connecting with the earth. So maybe if, you're, if you've got duty of care issues and you're worried about that, why don't you create a garden space where um, older Aboriginal people who want to sit on the ground or want to lay down and connect with the earth can do it and it's not, um, it's not putting your service <laughs> in a situation where people think you're not providing proper duty of care. Um, I mean, I don't know whether, um, uh, Megan or Steph, you want to comment on that, but... Uh... It's it's certainly um, one of the main issues that I have come across or challenges I've come across is definitely in the urban areas is where because it's so built up and the environment is hotel-like and they're all you know designed and marketed to be these amazing hotel-like facilities but there's never a space for anyone you know First Nations or non-First Nations to even engage in the outside area and if it is it's all patio based and it's (laughs) sunsets and cocktails by the pool and it's not that and it's it's just the design of a care home is not it's not home-like and it doesn't feel like home. So, you know, you ask someone who is Indigenous, you know, let's go out for a walk or let's go out to the garden. I've I've had on two occasions, they're just like, that's not a garden. Like, I don't want to sit on concrete. <laughs> like, mm. I want to do, I want to engage in other things. So it, it's, it's really hard when you are in a care home and they do look beautiful and the walls are all the same colours and, you know, it's re- really hard to engage someone in, in that sort of outside environment space. Dawn, the tool, the Good Spirit, Good Life assessment tool, um, how do we get access to that and how do, I assume given that a lot of the conversation from all of you has been about awareness and taking the time. I'm assuming there's some wonderful support materials that may help those listening. Definitely. If you go on to the, uh, you can download it from the www.aboriginalagingwellresearch.com. So the tool is able to be downloaded from that for people who um, uh, are interested in having a look at the tool. It's um, it's free 
And the tool comes with a package that tells you how to use it and uh, provides instructions on if someone in terms of the assessment might score low, what you can do to um, actually um, address that particular factor. So if someone scores low on they're not accessing country and they're quite depressed about that, what can you do to, what are some of the little strategies and activities that you can do to enable them to have access to country? So it provides some direction to service providers on how they might um, put some strategies in place. And we'll certainly be linking that uh, useful resource in uh, the podcast link below um, because it's so important to be accessing uh, these tools. Steph and uh, Megan, are there other resources that you think are important or that you've really valued in your learning? Well, for me personally, I have, um, as an occupational therapist, I'm, I'm all about understanding different aspects of people's lives and how that impacts on them. I've previously myself used what we call as the Kawa model, which is an approach to care and it's a traditional Japanese model. Mm-hmm. And I found that really quite it, like powerful and impact um, really positive when someone was using them in pain clinics in Alice Springs, um, and it's and it is because it used elements of the earth such as rocks, rivers, um, driftwood, to explain what are the barriers in your life, what flows really well in your life at the moment, versus what what's going to stop your flow, what's going to stop you from being who you want to be and what matters most to you and I found that quite and it's quite an old model like it's it's obviously about 20 years old so but it's a really good way to help someone connect to their life and connect to their country and it's just elements of the earth that I found quite positive. And Steph? Yeah I think I think so a book I found particularly useful was the little red, yellow, black book. <laughs> Don't know if you've heard of it, but have you heard of it, Dawn? Yeah, yes. it's a yeah, it's a book which explains things really book. well about language, yeah. about approach, about about the history and everything, all in a little book, and it's it's really good just to have a read. Um, particularly for non-Indigenous Australians because it's quite insightful and easy to follow. And again, we will make sure these resources are linked in our podcast show notes. We are releasing the episode during NAIDOC week, of which the theme is Healing Country. Dawn, would you like to share your thoughts on this? Healing Country and, you know, it raises um, the whole question around Healing country is a two-way process because country also heals people and the way in which you heal country is by enabling people to return to country, is looking after country. And Aboriginal people are the custodians of country. They're not owners. So, uh, you know, when we start to talk about healing country, we also need to, and both Steph and um and uh, uh, Megan have talked about, you know, importance of understanding the history in this country. And so one of the, the biggest, um, I think, uh, uh, wounds to country was the removal of people from country. 
And so when we're talking about um, dementia, we're talking about ageing, we're talking about stolen generation. And I, may I point out that, you know, there's also a huge uh, section of the community who aren't stolen generation, who weren't who weren't removed from country. There are some Aboriginal people who were very fortunate and lucky to grow up on country and to remain on country. Um, but then there's also a huge proportion of our community who were removed. But country is a relation. There's a strong relationship to country. So, you know, people will talk about the trees and the land, the rocks and uh, the animals as, as a relationship. Um, so country is very important for Aboriginal people's, you know, spiritual, their emotional and their psychological well-being. And particularly when you talk to older people about returning to country, you can see the light come into their eyes. And for um, Megan and, and Steph, you know, if you've, if you've taken an older person back to country, you can see their whole well-being changes. They get this light in their eye. They start to talk about and recognise. I remember when I took a, a, an old um, grandmother back to country and she was pointing out we have a, a big eucalyptus tree up in um, the Dampier Peninsula which has these amazing, beautiful red flowers and um, it's called Manawan. And she'd go, oh, look, there's my, there's my friend, the Manawan, and he's flowering now. Oh, look, he's flowering. And, you know, the relationship and the way in which she talked about the different wasn't like it was a tree, but it was an actual relationship. This is a brother, a sister. It was a person. It was very personified. So um, country is uh, and healing country is about a two-way relationship because I've had elders talk to me about how the country is lonely because its people have have left it and were taken a long time ago and there's no one there to look after country. So healing country is about um, expanding your understanding and your worldview to not just seeing it as what can we get out of the country. Steph and uh, Megan, in NADOC Week, what could staff be thinking about in terms of connecting uh, First Nations Australians that they may be caring for with NADOC Week and with that theme of healing country? I mean, for me, the NADOC Week theme of healing country is just such an important aspect of being able to understand connection because as Dawn was saying, it's it's not just the connection to the country is more than than just a physical connection. It's a spiritual connection. It's It allows people to be invigorated to breathe to be calm and I think my hope for for care staff in NADOC week would be to at least stand up and acknowledge that and just go okay well for someone who's Aboriginal this is this is what is so important to them and we need to acknowledge that as 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 an industry in terms of looking at how can we nurture that connection and how can we heal? How can we be the facilitators to heal that that connection? So, if you haven't started the conversation, use that important week to start the conversation. Absolutely. But I want to thank you so much, uh, all, for joining us, and particularly to thank you, Dawn, for the work that you have acknowledged. So many people contributed in that co-design of these materials that are now part of our work. Um, and shaping what we do to, uh, in NADOC week we will also be uh, we have developed uh, new uh, pictorial uh, materials to help us in our communication with First Nations people so 
uh, it's an ongoing process of making sure that uh, that dialogue, that connection, as you've said, Megan, is so important. But uh, any final words, Maton? Yes, I'd just like to to mention that um, I'm also the um, the, the lead uh, researcher with the Centre for Research Excellence on in, uh, on the Good Spirit, Good Life. And what we're doing for the Centre for Research Excellence is that we want to take the tool and we'd also like to validate it in a regional, um, a, a, in a remote uh, area with the Torres Strait Islander people as well. So um, we validated it in Perth and in Melbourne, which is both in urban and a regional environment, but we'd like to take it now and validate that with the Torres Strait Islander community as well as a, a remote Aboriginal community out in the remote area to see, you know, whether we where we have might have to adjust it in terms of language and in uh, in concepts. And Don, you mentioned uh, the uh, future research that you want to be doing. If people want to be part of that, and there's an opportunity uh, to support the research you want to do, how do we get in touch? Um, you can contact me at the um, at the Centre for Research Excellence, which is based in Canada. Um, so have a look at, uh, and we're putting up a website around the CRE. So um, through an email or logging onto the site. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure again that we put those links for people who may want to support that important research to be able to take part. Thank you, Dawn, Steph and Megan so much for taking part in this uh, Dementia Podcast on NADAC Week. It's been so valuable to get your insights and I guess ultimately to hear your heart for the work that you do. So I'm so grateful for that and want to thank you all on behalf of all our listeners. <laughs>